Yeah, there's something about God's people coming together, right? That third song that we sang talks about incense, which of course the incense in scripture is the prayers of the people. It's those things that Greg was encouraging us to just lay out before God. To him, those are incense, right? A fragrant aroma, something that brings him pleasure to hear us lay down before him, to give him the things that are our concerns, our problems, our issues, and simply to lay him at lay them at his feet. When we come together as a body, there's something significant that happens. I don't know if you felt that breakthrough in the midst of worship. Perhaps it's been a while since you've experienced it. Perhaps you've never experienced. Perhaps that's why you showed up today, because you knew that there was something that was going to happen in the room, and so you're here. You're here to hear what God would say. You're here to see what God might do, and it's different. Being online is great. We love you. We appreciate you. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us, but there's something about the people of God coming together, right? Standing in the face of of a pandemic, coming through with wise opportunities and simply creating this space where we put God first, where we lay aside everything else and simply come to worship and express our trust in him alone. It's not the message today. That's free. So we'll just keep going on here. But I want to know, I want to know what you're hopeful for today. I want to know where hope is creeping in on the edges. We're in our third week. We're talking about thankfulness and gratitude. We're finding these opportunities that even in hard times, even in pandemic, even with division and all of these things going on, that that we can express gratitude and thankfulness, that those things fundamentally rewire our brain. And so we've had gratitude journals. How are you all doing on your homework? Week three? waning a little bit, right? Maybe in time for a refresh. Uh, I know my son pulled his out last night and I went, I don't know if I remember exactly where I left my gratitude journal that I'm supposed to be filling out every night, right? For those of you at home, uh, I was gonna say no shame, but there's a little bit of shame in this, right? I've had zero people come to pick one up. So if you're not here on Sunday, I have a gratitude journal waiting for you. Please come and pick it up, contact us. I'll set it outside, just reach out to us. Want you to have the opportunity because as we said in week one, right, this is life changing, right? Science and faith agree and say the simple habit of taking five minutes at the end of your day to label what we're grateful for, what we're thankful for. Today, we're gonna add a little bit of hope into it. This can fundamentally rewire and shift our brain around. So journal or not, whether you're on the wagon, off the wagon. I hope that you're rejoining as we continue to move for Thanksgiving by answering that question daily right before you go to bed. What are you grateful for? What are you thankful for? And today we'll put a spin on it just a little bit with hope. Now, last week we talked about rest, that we're thankful for perhaps the opportunity for some more rest. And as God tends to do, he gave us like a little science experiment, right? So here's your test on whether or not last week's message on rest was for you. What happened on Monday? Snow day. day. What'd you do on the snow day? Did you, did, you, did you work? Was it more work for you? Did you take the opportunity to find things to do? Were you able to step back and away and take care of the kids whose school schedule was perhaps messed up, right? What happens when a day of rest was given to you? Did you take it? Were you able to see it as the gift and be grateful for it, or did you simply find it an interruption to the work that you needed to get done? Also a little thing called daylight savings time, right? You had an extra hour, less hour. Think I was, my math is not working. So, so you had an extra hour last night. What'd you do with it? 
It was restful. Was it something that was productive? Did you get some more rest? Literally, did you sleep more? Uh, my body thought that 5 a.m. was 6 a.m., so I'm very grateful for that rhythm, and uh, I just sat in bed awake for an hour. So that was happening here. But today, we're going to talk about hope. Hope, I want to kind of phrase to us this way, that hope is this gratefulness and thankfulness, but, it, but it's projected forward, right? It's into the future. It's, it's a hope that we get that thing that we want for Christmas and that we'll feel gratitude for that. It's that I hope that the schools don't shut down and change our lives for the foreseeable future. Right? I hope that my candidate wins the election, we doing okay? Too soon, right? Big week this week, election week. I know Colorado ballots are hopefully already out there. Hopefully we're going to be cool a little bit today because I think that as people of hope, as a kingdom of hope, as the people of God, we have something to contribute, not just to the election, but into the grander ethos of what it is to even be an American in the world today. So today we're going to talk about being thankful for more unity. Because as I survey the political landscape and the world that we're in right now, I can't help but feel a sense of camaraderie, right? Just genuine care across the aisle, right? That there's just this sense that we're all on the same team trying to get through this together. Yeah, me neither, right? I'm trying to be hopeful here this morning, right? But no, that's not my experience. None of those things. It's toxic. It's divisive. It feels more partisan than ever. And I feel like every four years we say that, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And we get lumped into broader things that if you vote for that political party, that automatically means you subscribe to everything else. And we end up building battle lines around conversations that we're too even afraid to have. And that's why I think there's this opportunity for us as people of faith to have unity, to be together under one banner in the midst of all that is going on, right? Because certainly there can't be less unity moving forward, right? All we can do is go up from here. At least that's what I keep telling myself. So, so I want to I recall us back corporately to, to maybe a time when we felt a sense of that corporate unity together. How many of you remember the days, weeks, and months immediately following 9-11? Right, September 11th, 2001, there was this tremendous sense of, we'll call it American pride, right, where everyone kind of felt rallied together. Churches were full, bursting at the seams. There was a sense of common goodness expressed to everyone, regardless of skin color, regardless of political affiliation. There was just a sense that we were unified, doing this thing together. And I think the genuine hope that I had, maybe you remember feeling this way too, is, is maybe this will be a lasting change for us, right? Maybe this will be something that we can continually build on and continually make better. Some 20 years later, I, I don't know that that has been the outcome of that tragedy, certainly in pockets and for seasons, but maybe not all the way. And the reason I bring that up is, is I had a similar feeling when we went into the shutdown. I don't know if you guys felt that at all, but there was a, a little hint, a glimmer that, that perhaps we were going to be doing something together, that perhaps we could set aside our, our personal preferences, our personal agendas, and accomplish something more than any one of us could do individually, that we could protect people and save lives, and that perhaps there would be something we could build off of a groundswell that we could find ourselves together in. Maybe we could beat this thing. Maybe we can overcome this virus. Maybe we can shorten the time that we have to be shut down. If you remember at those times, there was also kind of this resurgence of racial justice that was coming up and protests that were happening. And again, it felt like maybe the ground was ripe for some changes to come into place and to last. Fast forward six months later. 
not nearly as hopeful. I don't know about you. I feel a little jaded. I feel a little unhopeful. I feel a little lackluster in my hope that things going forward are going to change. Whether that's the change of handling this pandemic, the change promised by the candidates running on both sides of the election, it just feels like maybe everything just continues moving on in the same way. And that feels explicitly hopeless, does it not? feels explicitly the opposite of hope. So I have a little secret for us, for those of us who are, who are gathered here, right, whether you're online, in the room, that this room, this assembly, this body of Christ, that we are a people of hope. Full stop. No caveats, nothing on the end of that. We are people of hope. We have a hope for the future, and it's not because of the political systems and structures. It's simply because of Jesus and the promised direction of Scripture and eternity that we are to be a people who demonstrate and are united and are leading others in a hopeful existence. So what do we do when we feel hopeless? when we feel despondent, when things feel like they're out of our control, when we no longer have hope that things will be different, when we get run down. Maybe you're feeling hopeless right now about the election cycle. I can't blame you. Is anything really going to change? Are we even going to be able to peacefully navigate this transition this time? Maybe this will be something different. Maybe you're feeling hopeless about the economy or your job, whether that's keeping your job or finding one. Maybe you're hopeless about school continuing on as we continue to see the markers coming out from school districts. Maybe you're hopeless today about the end to systemic racism or sexism that just continually crops up. Maybe you're hopeless about COVID ever going away. Are you ever going to be able to throw away this stupid mask and not wear it ever again? What do we do? How do we find hope when we're hopeless? There's a key distinction that I'd like us to make today, and it's one that I think trips us all up from time to time as humans and as people of faith, and it's simply this. It's the contrast between what we hope for and what we place our hope in. There's a subtle difference there in in the way that we approach it, in the way that it settles within our spirits, what we hope for versus what we place our hope in. In what's going to come through for us versus which we desire to come to pass, right? You may hope for any number of things, right? Christmas presents, it's around the corner. Kids, have you started your list for Santa? It's going to need more time this year because of COVID, right? So get your list to Santa early, right? Maybe you might hope that your team makes it to the championship game. You might hope that your party gains the majority in the election or keeps the White House, whatever it is. To hope for something is akin to a wish, right? It's a desire that something would happen with an expectation attached to it that it could actually come to pass, right? It's not just I I hope I win the lottery, but if you never buy a lottery ticket, then there's no hope there, right? But if you buy it, all of a sudden you've got hope that this thing is going to turn out. It's an expectation that reality can accompany it. And the focus, though, of that hope is critical because while we can hope for things that we want or wish to occur, it's when we place our hope in those desired outcomes that we find ourselves in trouble. Right? For instance, let's say for Christmas, you want the brand new Xbox Series X. Melissa, are you taking notes? Just side note there, right? It's a fine thing to hope for, right? right? What happens when Santa doesn't bring you the thing that's on your wish list? You're sad, right? You're disappointed, but does life go on? 
golly, I hope so, right? <laughs> like, if that's where you're at, we should have a conversation afterwards. Let's go get coffee. Like, we can, we can do better. Than that. But life is going to continue to go on when we hope for something like a gift or a present and we don't receive it, right? Life still continues. We're sad, we're disappointed, we're let down, but life still goes on. We still can pick ourselves up. We can still continue to hope for something different in the future. Now, what happens if you put your hope in receiving said present for Christmas, right? You've planned on it. You've got the days, the weeks, the months lined out. You bought yourself three extra controllers. You purchased the game that you want to play. Now you aren't just hoping for something, but you've actually placed your hope in receiving that gift. Now, what happens if you don't receive this simple gift that you asked for? It's slightly more troubling. You've got some money shelled out now. You've planned on something. It's in your calendar that is now unavailable to you. Rather than simply feeling disappointment, you may feel despondent. You may feel like there's more on the line, like life is over. Dramatic in this example, I know, but when we place our hope in something that we are simply meant to hope for, it messes with our soul. It messes with our identity. It messes with the locus of the focus of that. That wasn't supposed to rhyme. The focus of where we place our hope in. When we put our hope in something, in a thing, inevitably it will let us down. And when we do that, the effect that it has on us magnifies exponentially. Right? It's humorous when we're talking about a video game, but how about sports? Right? There's the difference between your hope for your team to win the big game and you placing a bet on your team winning in the hopes that the winnings of that bet will then pay for Christmas this year. Right now your hope isn't simply for the team to win, your hope is invested in that outcome coming to pass and the letdown is therefore even more magnified. How about looking for a job, right? There's a difference if you're hopeful for the opportunity. I sure hope that interview went well. You're disappointed to learn that you didn't get the job. However, if your family and income is dependent on that, if you are unemployed, maybe you placed your hope in this being the thing that was going to save you, that was going to get you out of debt, that was going to enable you to, to, to fund and feed your family, and the fallout from that is absolutely devastating. Maybe you're hopeful for the election. You want to see your candidates win. You want to see your votes count. You're hopeful for some change in the political process. That's why you voted. I hope you voted in this election. But being hopeful for an outcome is great and appropriate. But if you've placed your hope in the result of the election, you may find yourself completely despondent on Wednesday morning. Because when we place our hope in the wrong things, it messes with our soul. It, it transforms it and changes it into something that was never meant to hold the weight of hope in that way. We can hope for things, for outcomes to be in our benefit, but when we secure our hope to those temporal things, we find ourselves in a great bit of trouble. Far too often we place our hope in things that are destined to let us down. Ultimately, putting our hope in anything is going to let us down, not because hope is bad or broken or off base, but because we put our hope in things that should only be hoped for. When we misplace our hope, it leaves us devastated. But hope in the right place keeps us grounded. 
If we misplace that trust, we leave ourselves despondent and devastated, but hope in the right place keeps us grounded, keeps us where we're supposed to be, right? This is the wisdom that the ancient Hebrews commend to us as they spell out their life of faith with God, how they go to great lengths to illustrate and extrapolate for us and attempt to learn for themselves, but also that it would carry on to teach us about how hope works in relationship to this God that we serve. So in Psalm chapter 20, verse Seven, the ancient authors say this, that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What are we saying there, right? Some kingdoms, some nations, their military strength is where their hope is secured. That's what's going to keep them safe. That's what's going to protect their people. Their trust, their hope is in the work of those chariots and horses. It says, but you, people of God, you Hebrew people, your hope, your trust is in something different. We place our trust in the name of the Lord our God. He's who protects, he's who saves, right? Some people, we trust our safety and our security to our own power. We trust it to the money that we can make, to the 401k that we have, but we as people of God, our hope, our trust, our deliverance comes only from the Lord's provision for us. Because when chariots fail, when the economy collapses, when a pandemic goes on longer than any of us hoped or planned for, if your hope is in those structures that will ultimately fail, you'll be left despondent, distraught, destroyed, discouraged, but only by placing our hope in God, which endures no matter what goes around in the world around us, can we find ourselves grounded in that hope. The New Testament authors continue this refrain, urging people in politics and in the betterment of the world, but never to put their hope in these man-made systems. They say things like, hope for things to change, but your hope is in God alone, right? You can hope for things to change, but your hope is in God alone. Here's how the authors of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us. That's Christians, right? That's the people of God. We've fled the world. We've fled from its systems and structures in pursuit of the hope set before us. We should be greatly encouraged, it says. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Right? The exhortation here is, look, you already fled away from those structures. You already left the places where other people place their hope, and instead our hope is in Jesus who demonstrates this pathway forward, who demonstrates a way to live and a way through it. He not only says it, but he demonstrates it in the cross and in his resurrection. The author says this is the only trustworthy anchor for our souls to place our hope in Jesus. Right? Anything else will ultimately let us down. If we place our hope in anything less than Jesus, there is only letdown and despondency in the future because hope can reside in no other place than Jesus. Now that's good preaching, right? 
I know that there's a lot going on this morning and you may be at home and you're not yelling out amen from the couch, but I'm going to pretend that you are. But the reality is that I don't care much for good preaching unless it changes something, unless it leads to acting. You know the theology. This probably isn't news to you. You've probably experienced it. Maybe I'm giving you some language, but chances are you're here because you already recognize that truth. And it's a great reminder, and you may walk away feeling encouraged, and I think that's amazing. I hope that you walk away resounded in your faith, that you're built up in that. But the reality is this. Do we actually live like Jesus is the only hope that we have? Is that the actual expression of our life, or do we hedge our bets? Do we pull our punches? Are we waiting to see how things turn out in this area or not? Is it Jesus and the economy? Is it Jesus and our job? Is it Jesus and the end to the pandemic? Is it Jesus and the right person in the White House? Is it Jesus and the right people on the Supreme Court? If you think that life is doomed based on the result of the election, your hope is not in Jesus alone, but in Jesus and something else. And you've convoluted what to place your hope for and your hope in, and you will be disappointed. Maybe not this election, maybe not the next one, but hope in anything less than Jesus will leave you desolate and deserted. Jesus is the only place that our hope can last. Because while it's our hope and our best civic duty for the economy and for the pandemic, that's different than our hope being anchored in the places where Jesus is. Because we belong, we're citizens of a higher kingdom. Going back to the Psalms, this verse may be familiar to you. Psalm 146 says it this way. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. For when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in their Lord. Our kingdom is not of this world, right? Jesus says as much when he's questioned before Pilate. So when we place our hope in the here and now, we separate ourselves from placing our hope in Jesus and we put it somewhere different. And here's the contrast. Our hope in something greater is supposed to be the defining characteristic of our followership for God and Jesus Christ, the hope of a kingdom that is not yet here, but that is also coming and is present. All right, so here's where we're going to transition, right? Because your neighbors, your coworkers, your families, your friends, what do they have to place their hope in? They place it in an election that's ultimately going to let them down. They place it in an economy that is going to fail them someday. They place it in man-made structures, listen, because they have nothing else to put their hope in. They're destined to be hopeless. They're, they're destined, there's no other option left to them if they don't have the person of Jesus Christ, if they haven't been introduced to him, if they don't understand that hope in these failed structures will only leave them disappointed. They are doomed to an existence where they keep hoping, they keep putting their trust in a person who lets them down, in the spouse that leaves, in the economy that fails them, in the election system that isn't perfect, in the systemic racism that continues to push people down, and they keep trying to cultivate this hope in a system and in a structure that is not meant to handle it. That leaves them despondent and desperate. It leaves them wondering, what's the point of life? It leaves them wondering, does anything even matter? Is there anything that I can put my hope in? Can you let that sink in this morning, that there are people in your life who do not have the hope that you have? 
who do not have the opportunity to place their faith in Jesus. They haven't learned it, they haven't understood it, and they live life on an endless repeat and they can't figure out how to get out of it. They have no hope. I don't think I'm being too dramatic. Is this making sense to you? Are you resonating with this? That if Jesus is the hope of the world, the anchor for our souls, the visualized hope in our future, and we know that placing our hope in anything else will let us down, we've learned this, we know this, but your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, that one person that you've identified in your life that God is asking you to step into and to invite them to church and to love in his name, that person has nothing worth placing their hope in. And they continually go through life seeking something worthy of hope and continually feeling let down over and over again. That should break our hearts, church. Not just corporately, that should break your heart individually for people that you can name, for people who are living in a hopeless whirlwind of placing hope in different places ultimately being let down. This is why Paul in Romans exhorts us not to mourn like those who have no hope because most people have no hope. They have no hope that tomorrow will be any different from today. They have no hope that November 4th will be any different than November 3rd. Day after day, season after season, disappointment after disappointment. And Jesus says, not you though, you are a people of hope. He says, you're a light to the world because the good news is not just that you can have hope, it's that everyone can have hope, amen? It's that there's a reality that there's more available to you and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not weird to talk to our neighbors about our faith and our belief. If you believe that their existence is hopeless and you found hope, we have to get over that hurdle of going, hey, I know that you're going through some stuff. We're all going through some stuff, right? COVID is the easiest way to start a spiritual conversation and to go, hey, I know that life is hard right now. I know that it feels hopeless. Can I just tell you where hope is coming from for me? Because we can just be a people of hope. We're unrattled by the result of an election or a pandemic or a tragedy or anything. We can be people of hope and can introduce people into someone and something worth putting their hope in. But to do that, we have to live it first. We have to exemplify it. It has to be our life calling to live this way, not only personally, but in front of our entire world who's watching. So first question as we reflect on applying this idea today, where have you misplaced your hope? Where have you allowed your hope to slide off of Jesus? To become Jesus and an election, a candidate, a person, a job, an economy. Where have you made your hope in something that's only supposed to be for? You have a journal, right? Add this into that process to identify places where your hope has slid off the mark and to ask Jesus for forgiveness and to repent. Jesus, I've allowed my hope to rest in and to exist in something other than you. I recognize that that's only hopeless, that that's going to leave me empty and despondent, so please forgive me and help me change my thought process so that all I hope for is in the person of you. All right, this week in your gratitude journals, as we continue that daily habit together, can you add a future component by asking the question, what am I hopeful for? 
And as you begin to find things that you're thankful for, but also that you hope for in the future, go through that list and recognize, now is my hope in this thing happening or is I, am I simply hoping for something and allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to sift through those motives of our heart to find ourselves actually practicing this hope that we profess? All right, so second reflection question. Who in your life is hopeless? Who in your life is hopeless? Whether due to COVID, to the election, to job loss, to a personal crisis, look around at work, at school, in your neighborhood, on your sports team. Who doesn't have hope? Who's placing their hope in the wrong things? Who doesn't have the hope of an eternal life with Jesus? And then do this exhortation from Scripture in 1 Peter. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The authors exhort you to be able to give a reason for the hope that you have. Notice that the context there is that they assume you have hope. Why? Jesus, right? They say, hey, you have Jesus. You know that you're a person of hope. That's just ground level one that you are a person of hope. Now your hope should be such that people should be asking you, how come you're so unrattled right now? How come things just seem to roll off you? I know you're going through COVID stuff. I know your candidate didn't win the election. I know that things aren't going your way, but you seem like your hope isn't rattled. You seem like you're still okay, like life is still going on. If I were you, I would be so down in the dumps. I would be so despondent. We should be living this type of hope out into our friends. And if nobody's asking you, then perhaps that's the genesis for you to have a conversation. Maybe you know the signs are out in the yard and you're able to have a conversation in gentleness and respect to say, I know your candidate didn't win. Look, mine didn't win either. But let me tell you why my hope wasn't in an election, but that it's in the person of Jesus. Listen, hope for an outcome may leave you disappointed, but it won't leave you empty. Placing your hope in anything other than Jesus will leave you utterly depleted and desperate for something worth placing your hope in. And the world right now is desperate for hope. It's open to a message of hope. There's no hope anywhere right now. Anybody seen hope in the news? Right? No. Actually, it was so humorous. I finished writing this message this week, and I got a little pop-up in the corner of my thing from Apple News. It was an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about hope. You know what their answer was? Just hope that things turn out differently. Vote, maybe that'll change the hope. They had no answer. They said hope is incredibly important, but we can't find any in the news headings right now. It doesn't exist. Do you know where hope lives today, church? Right there. You. Person next to you, the person sitting at home on the couch. Hope exists in that tiny little light of Jesus Christ that you're building up with your campfire box and that you're encouraging them to be the hope of the world, not in the future, but right now. Hope exists because we are the people of God and the world is open and desperate to hear it. How are you prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus? So what are you hopeful for today. And what is your hope in? You are the light of the world and hope is the conduit that that light flows through. So where is your hope? 
And how can you use that hope to share with someone? Because the reason for your hope is not a vaccine. The reason for your hope is not an election or a championship or a job or a person or a spouse. Your hope is in Jesus. It's the only thing that we've found that's worth placing our hope in. And it's something that will never betray us or forsake us. And it's something that the world needs now more than ever. We're going to sing one more song. I'm going to invite you just for a moment of quiet reflection here as the band comes up. I want to encourage you to bow your heads, to close your eyes, to think about this locus of hope. Where do you find your hope at? Where do you find it focused? It's an incredibly appropriate time to begin a dialogue with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to point out those areas in my life, God, where, where my hope has slid. God, where are those places where I've allowed my hope to be in something that it was never meant to be in, and how do I shift it back into the appropriate boundaries of, man, I hope for this outcome, I hope for this result, but no matter what, my hope is found in you. Maybe if you're so bold, you'd also take this opportunity to allow God and the Holy Spirit to put someone hopeless on your heart. God, who have you positioned in my life that is without hope? that perhaps you're feeling the nudge, perhaps you're feeling the pull, perhaps you're feeling big spiritual word, the call on your life to be the light, to show that person that there is hope, that life is not over, that yes, their hope has been placed in a relationship and in a person and in a job and in an election, but the reality is that you know of some place that is worth trusting their hope in. You are the light of the world. You are called by God to shine that light and hope is a major part of it and the world is hungry for it. Where is God asking you to shine that light of hope into the darkness today, this week, in this season in your life? Holy Spirit, would you speak? As we sing, as we worship, God, we recognize that all of our praises are for you, but we also come, God, expecting an encounter. We expect to be changed. We expect that you have work to do in our lives. God, we expect that we are nowhere near perfect. So would you refine us? Would you transform us into people of hope? Would you continue to allow us to be of service to you by expanding your kingdom through the hope of Jesus Christ until the day when we ultimately arrive at that hope and find ourselves in your presence? As we sing one more song, would you find a position of worship that's comfortable? You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel. This is your time to respond to God. We're going to sing.